Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at Hogshaven.com, at Hogshaven on Twitter, and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Mole. Jamal Force, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. On the show today, we are previewing the Washington Commanders matchup against the Dallas Cowboys. This week's episode, uh, we'll have former Cowboy receiver Jesse Holly. Uh, Jesse is currently the co- the host of the Believe Cowboys podcast and a ton of other Dallas Cowboys shows that you can find them on throughout the week and on Cowboys game day. Similar to our host or our, our guest, excuse me, uh, Craig Hoffman. You know, who does a ton of things for the Commanders as well as the radio stations locally. He does the same thing in Dallas Cowboys. Uh, nation and in territory a uh, Jesse Holly is um so you can hear from him in terms of what what he has going on personally but you all know why we're here um listen as all it's never it's never easy talking about the commanders especially with the repeated path in which they go throughout a season especially to start a season so it's never easy but please understand my excitement is is much greater than than just than, than just where they are right now from a record standpoint. Let's get the administrative item out of the way. I am going to Dallas this week. I am about to have a great time. I am about to turn up. Um, like I've never turned up before. <laughs> oh, but not seriously though, I, I am going to Dallas and just to have a good time, you know, obviously and, and just uh be at a be at a game, a road game. Road games are always fun for me. Road games are probably like the best environment for me. Like I, I probably said it before, but one of the best times I've ever had was in Seattle, um, and Washington played Seattle in 2017. You know the Kirk Cousins to Josh Doxson connection where you thought that they were just turning the corner in Washington. You thought that Josh Doxson was about to be alive, and in that he was finally about to find his way. And I was in Seattle, turned up in the nest, in the Hawks nest, man, going crazy, and and um. Had myself a really good time with my cousin who was a Seahawks fan. So just to see the dis- despair on his face, understanding that the Seahawks, the mighty Seahawks, found a way to lose to the Washington Redskins at the time, uh, it brought joy on my face. And <laughs> this trip, I am going with uh, a Commanders fan, fellow Commanders fan. So uh, we'll be on the same team this time. So it's all good. And, and nonetheless, man, I'm looking forward to having a great time, a great weekend in Dallas. But the point of me bringing that up, was for administrative items. I don't think we will be able to get a podcast done immediately after the game is over. Uh, This week, expect a podcast out Monday morning-ish, if not like afternoon. Um, I am going to bring my recording equipment out there, uh, a laptop and a headset. (laughs) Um, So I'll try to get a recording session done out there. But ultimately, uh, with, you know, the nature of being on travel, uh, I'm never going to, I can't speak with certainty. Like I even do that with work travel, never really can speak with certainty. So um, I just, it's just a fluid situation. So we'll try to get that recording out the way, get my overall thoughts on the game and my experience in real time of what uh, the game felt like the environment. So it's going to be fun, man. I cannot wait. I can't wait. I really can't. 
Um, in the next administrative item thing, just make sure, you know, if you have some time, man, just leave your, leave a rating and review to help the podcast out, help the platform out. Uh, we definitely appreciate it, man. It takes two seconds just to go down to the bottom and, and leave a review. Uh, we prefer the five stars, right? And if you feel negatively about this show, just don't even, don't even leave a review. Don't even, don't even bother. You know what I'm saying? We don't need none of that negativity in the air, right? We just need that five star, um, four and a half if you. Have to knock it down a pig. Um, but yeah, now nah, I appreciate anybody and everybody that does listen. So let's go ahead and get into the three keys for this week against the Dallas Cowboys. And then after that, we'll have Jesse Holly. Uh, by the way, really good interview. So I'll try to be quick with this one. We went for uh, an extensive time. I-, I had to ask him about Tony Romo too, man. He played with him for two years. You know, he's familiar with the area. He's been around in Dallas for a long period of time since, you know, his time with the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, we touched on a range of things. Obviously, primarily focusing on 2022 Dallas and Washington. But, you know, I had to tap into, um, you know, just his take on the rivalry since he's been around and involved with Cowboys Washington, uh, in Washington. <laughs> Um, and then as well as uh, Tony Romo and his time and, and his opinion on Tony Romo altogether as a quarterback. So a really good insight, really good conversation. Uh, but right now, let's go ahead and get into my three keys for a Washington win. Okay, so my first key for Washington. I mean, look, first first off, my theme altogether, two th- two keys is, 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 is dealing with Scott Turner. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. I tell you that right now. My first key is, you know, turning Washington offensive line really has to establish the ground game. Um, last week, I, I really did think that, you know, on the surface level, right, you thought that Washington was able to establish the ground, but I really think that they were the ground game, but they was really struggling. I think the offensive line were to to really get anything going, and what really helped that offensive line was the fact that Antonio Gibson. Uh, J.D. McKissick and Jonathan Williams had good games. They were on their A game, and they maximized the yards that were available to them and then created. And that's what really gave the idea in which Washington was really running the the ball well in the first half. The running backs had some help. They didn't have, like, it wasn't all credit due to the offensive line. The running backs were really creating, in my opinion. And the thing of that is, and that's why I mentioned the offensive line has to really establish something in the ground game. Uh, Cowboys are one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL right now, right? And you have to take advantage of that. Um, I personally think that, you know, this offensive line isn't really too uh, capable of doing uh, reach. Well, I, I, and I say reach block sometimes. I, I kind of, you know, pigeonhole or, or pin like this conversation into one specific thing. And I don't want to, you know, I want to change that narrative. I, I just think that certain things like, Zone blocking is going to hurt them. I think that they can be a more effective gap scheme. And, um, you know, Washington is facing a team who, you know, they're not that they're pretty stout inside the tackle. But if you can try to get outside the tackle is where you can find some success. So if you can get like some powers going, some counters um, like the trap plays that the Detroit Lions use are excellent. I, I love that. And if if Scott Turner can just steal a few of those plays, steal a few of their traps, <laughs> um, and and use them against the Dallas Cowboys, so you can establish the ground game, uh, that'll help. Uh, one of the issues that Scott Turner also has is you know his tendencies. Um, he has a really and. I would like based on the teams that I looked up, I would say that. So, again, this is my research and this is not like a foregone conclusion that he is number one, but he is among the league's highest. Scott Turner is in the Washington Commanders in terms of 12 personnel's tendencies. Um, He passes nearly 70 percent of the time, if not 70 percent of the time out of 12 personnel. And that's one that's one running back, two tight ends. Right. And that's what really hurt Washington on some occasions against the Philadelphia Eagles and obviously the Detroit Lions, that they kind of had an idea where Scott Turner was going when he had the two tight end sets out there. They weren't full. They weren't really thinking pass. I mean, run game. They were thinking he he was going to pass. And, and what, seven times out of ten, they was right. It was a pass. Um, so ultimately, that number needs to go down from 70% to closer to 50%. And that's where some of the more effective offenses are in this NFL. Tampa Bay is around 50%. And they're probably, I think they're primarily like, they're like 40%, they're like 45, 55 type, right? 
um, some other teams. Green Bay, their their majority run game out of 12 personnel. They have the backs to do it. They have the offensive line to do it. And I just think that Washington has the tight ends. They have the looks where they can do like John Bates, Logan Thomas, or maybe John Bates or Monty Rogers. Monty Rogers and, and John Bates is a really good combination because I think I trust them in the run game as blockers more than I trust Logan Thomas. Um, so you have to find a way to establish that ground game against these guys, man, and um, really change up your tendencies in, in, in one of your run-heavy looks. Like, drop that 70% number and, and make it like 50. And if you're going to use it against the Dallas Cowboys, which I think that you should, um, you you probably should be closer to 55-45 to run pass. And try to find a way to get to the edge, man. Um, so... Yeah, running the football, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a team effort. It's gonna be on Scott Turner to try to really establish it and, and also use it consistently. The, the ground game you can't abandon it. Eventually, when you're in that situation where you're not abandoning it, you're gonna get in better third down situations, right? Washington, speaking of third downs, while they're one of the better teams in the NFL in converting, they're still one of the the highest teams or or lowest, however you want to say it. Like they rank among the worst in terms of third down distance. In the NFL, they're they're around 8.3 yards to go. That is a significant. That's a terrible number. So if you can try to stay in third and manageables to help yourself out, third and fives, third and fours, third and ones, you're in good shape against this team. This is one of the better teams in the NFL. They're top. They're twelfth actually. I was gonna say top ten. They're twelfth in the NFL on third down. So you need to find a way to help yourself out and get in better third and manageable situations. Number two for me is, again, a Scott Turner theme, scheme Terry and Jahan touches early. Now, it may counteract what I said in my first my first key in that Turner and Washington has to establish the offensive line. Um, excuse me. <laughs> Turner and the offensive line have to establish the ground game. But ultimately, what I mean by scheming Terry and Jahan touches is not that you're going to be running 100% of the time in the first half. It's not going to be the fact that you're going to be running 100% time. 100% of the time in the entire game, right? You need to find a way to get your playmakers the ball, and you need to say to hell with trying to send these guys on 50-yard bombs throughout the game. I'm going to get these guys some quick screens. I'm going to get these guys uh, some slants and uh, some clear-out plays for them to win in one-on-one situations. Uh, I'm going to get some of these guys some some pop passes so they can get the ball in their hand like Jahan Dotson on a motion or something like that. You find a way to get these guys the ball and, and make sure that they are effective in, in you are effective in, in their usage. So it really comes down to, again, Scott Turner, how do you bounce back from two games in a row and technically two and a half games because of, of the period, a down period against Jacksonville where, you know, your back is against the wall if you're Scott Taylor, Scott, Scott Taylor, Scott Turner. You have to bounce back. And he's not the only one, right? Wentz is a byproduct of the issues from Scott Turner. Wentz is also an issue within himself in terms of how he's been struggling. He has to threaten defenses. I would not be surprised if, like, after three games of tape on, on Carson Wentz, you know, they give him some of the layups and they say, hey, I bet you won't hit him. So Carson Wentz has to trust his eyes. He has to understand what he's saying. He has to be quicker in processing. If I see another <laughs> instance on tape where he has Terry McLaurin one-on-one or Jahan Dawson one-on-one in a situation that's favorable for this offense and he doesn't take it, and even worse, doesn't take it and gets sacked or, or turns the ball over, I will lose it. <laughs> I really will lose it, man. So uh, we really need Wentz uh, and Scott Turner to, to come through and have a bounce-back day against the Dallas Cowboys. Number three for me Cowboys are good against the blitz, but you can have opportunity in four or five man rushes. Um, I think that what what really helps Washington is that you have a young defensive line who uh, is winning in terms of Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Right. Um, hopefully Daniel Wise can come around in terms of like health wise. Um, we'll, we'll get a status up as I'm recording this. I don't have a status update on Daniel Wise. Um, we'll probably know that on Friday. Right. But ultimately, uh, if you can get a natural pressure on Cooper Rush and force him to make plays versus your secondary without the created pressure, then 
you you're going to I mean, obviously, first off, and I, and I know how this sounds right. Like, obviously, everybody the goal for everybody is to do that. The goal is for everybody to look like the Buffalo Bills like they did against the Los Angeles Rams. And even the second game that they played rushing just four defenders. Everybody that's the goal, because obviously you have maximized coverage and stuff like that. But for Washington, a defense who I have said countless times, while I do want to notate. Um, after watching them on tape, I think Cam Curl could make a difference. We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, but I did like what I saw against the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, if you're in that situation where you're rushing four or five and you're getting dubs from Montez Sweat, who really needs to have a bounce back game um, and, and bounce back performance after some two very tough days on the job for him um, as a pass rusher. If you can get some some natural pressures uh, for the the commanders, then we're not talking about a team going down twenty four nothing or twenty nothing again. You're talking about a team who uh, is is looking at a one point deficit. I say one point, a one score deficit, or you have the lead and you're talking about like a uh, a, a good lead, a healthy lead, because this offense, while they have been Able to win games with Cooper Rush. They are not one of the the best offenses in the NFL with Cooper Rush. He can still lose you a football game. And Washington has to make sure that they play a role, a significant role, which includes getting turnovers, right? That's going to be a continued theme forever. That will always be a key for me until they get it done. But for that to happen, for turnovers to happen, you have to try to get Cooper Rush in a situation where he's able to make a mistake or he is amp, uh, he is providing an opportunity to make a mistake. And that's through pressure. That is through making him feel uncomfortable. Um, but that is also with uh, several defenders in the secondary who has eyes on the quarterback. My game prediction, I said this earlier, I'm in a good space. And for all the issues that I constantly and will never stop repeating until things get better, right, or will continue to evaluate until things get better, like tangibly better. I still think that that Washington has a good shot to win against Dallas. Look, at the end of the day, as inconsistent as Carson Wentz has been playing, he's a starting quarterback. Cooper Rush is not. And I don't trust anything that Dallas has done to this point in terms of their offensive production. I am very concerned about the offensive line for Washington. I am very concerned about Micah Parsons and how he can uh, – uh, impact a, a, a game in which I can't account for and neither neither of us, you and I, can account for. But at the end of the day, I think that Washington has a good opportunity to stay within the game um, with the starters that they have on the offensive side of the football. It really just comes down to execution from Carson Wentz and play calling and schematic tendencies from Scott Turner. So we will see and we will cross that bridge when we get there. And with that being said, fellas, ladies, Washington getting it dug. I have Washington winning 24 to 20. Um, I was on blogging the boys podcast, um, SB nation with, uh, uh, the star seminar, excuse me. And I was telling them the same thing. Like, I just think Washington is in a spot where, you know, their back is against the wall and they have to win. You can't afford to go down one to three, uh, one and three. And with a situation where you're facing a, a backup quarterback, you're getting a break. Regardless of how good they played the last two day, two games in Dallas Cowboys, you're getting a break. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and get ready for the good man, Jesse Holly. But first up, Annie Up got a word for us. The good man, P, over there at Annie Up Consulting. And after that, we got the good man, Jesse Holly. This Commander's Game Preview episode is brought to you by the good men over at Annie Up Consulting. The leading sports consulting firm that will undoubtedly make you a sharper, better, increase your win percentage, and accumulate long-term money. That last part is something that we all struggle to deal with from time to time. You need to tap in with the boys, P, and over there at Antioch Up Consulting to really understand how to manage it better, recognize your unit size, and make smarter bets altogether. Join their Daily Wager Discord channel for free now. Check the link in the bio. It is right there. I'm in it. I've been in it for some time. I love it in there, man. I get the picks. Uh, I understand, you know, what they're thinking, what they're leaning throughout the week before the plays are made. Sometimes you get some of the last second ones. If you're definitely unsure about a decision or have some questions, they're there for you. 
and hit up P to inquire about their one-on-one services to help you win weekly, manage your betting units, and learn the ins and outs of sports handicapping. And speaking of P, let's hear about his best bet for this week. This week's best bet, a little unorthodox play, but it's an unorthodox week. So um, we're going to tease, uh, two-team teaser, six points. Uh, we're going to tease the Buccaneers up to plus seven and the Cardinals up to plus seven and a half. Um, so there's a lot of value on teasers, specifically um, with home dogs catching one and a half to two and a half points and visiting dogs catching one to two and a half. Uh, visiting dogs on a six-point uh, teaser cover about 70% of the time, um, you know, from one to two and a half. And it's about 75% of the time for home dogs catching that number one to two and a half. Um, so we're going to catch value here. Um, and then the Cardinals are 18-7-2 and two against the spread as a road team, while the Bucks, um, that's under Kyler Murray and Kingsbury, while the Bucks under Tom Brady, 13-7 and seven against the spread home team. So we're going to catch, uh, catch some value here, get six points either way, minus 120 or greater, two-team teaser, Bucks plus seven, Cardinals plus seven and a half. Joining us right now is former Cowboys receiver Jesse Holly. Uh, Jesse is currently the co-host of the Believe Cowboys podcast. Uh, Jesse, I do appreciate you joining me today. Uh, you, you had a couple of experiences with this Dallas and Washington matchup during your time with the team. And um, your opinion, I, I want to get uh, on the nature of this rivalry over the years. Like, obviously, you've had it... Um, like it's a it's a very well documented time gap in in a good way because the nature of this rivalry has changed. So I want to get your opinion as a player. Like, what was it to you? What did you understand about this rivalry? And then, do you still think that it's a rivalry with these guys? Because I don't I don't know. I'm I'm gonna hand the floor to you and let you talk about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I I always have the understanding of when you're um, going up against a um, an NFC East opponent it becomes difficult. So whether it's the Giants or Philadelphia or, or Washington, it's a difficult game. You play them two times a year, every single year. Uh, most teams build their team to win their division. So every team that you see in this division has been built to beat whoever was the last reigning uh, uh, NFC East champion. And it was always a tough game. It was always a physical game. Um, I played a little bit. I'm not, I don't want to be the, you know, the old guy, get off my lawn. I played in the era was a little bit more physical uh to play the game the one thing i will say though the one thing i will say is the cowboys are always represented fan base wise when we come to 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 the dc maryland area to play this game and i maybe it's because of the of the the you know the, the military presence and, and people are being stationed there but i can tell you for sure we're never not feeling like we have fan support when we come and play washington Oh well, I can I can tell you why right now. Like Washington, and 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 just just in general, because I'm I'm from the area. I'm from PG County, uh, ten minutes away from from Washington D.C. And like over the years, it's always been Philly fans. It's always been Dallas fans, uh, and even Giants fans when they were good with the Eli Manning days. Like it's always a heavy focus of these guys at the stadium. Sometimes it's fifty fifty, and sometimes it's even fifty one percent plus favoring the Dallas Cowboys and, and other teams. And uh it's it's washington never really gets the home love um especially nowadays uh with the the way that it dwindled from a fan base standpoint and uh you all in good shape man it's always the optimism always exists with dallas cowboys fans jerry does a great job of promoting you always have the star quarterback whether it's Dak, uh whether it's tony romo uh before him um and and it always like because you you were around with tony and then obviously Dak took over after him it's incredible how like it's embarrassing if you're a skins fan tell you that much or or commanders fan nowadays but it's 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 pretty embarrassing how how y'all flood the stadium out no and and trust me it's like that in a lot of other places as well i mean i've uh when you go when we play the chargers and i i've been to that place a lot there's only very few places that we go to there isn't a a a strong presence you know when we play the raiders the raider fans going to come out and support you know when we play Seattle, Seattle fans are going to come out and support. There's very few places, Kansas City, very few places that we go that we don't have. I'm not saying it's going to be 50-50 or 60-40, but you feel you, you don't feel alone in that stadium as a player. You can look up to a section and be like, "All right, we 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 kind of represented in here." So we, we got we got a little bit of we got a little bit of home love no matter where we go, but it's definitely felt uh in in the Washington. And to the point of 
is this a rivalry? I mean, and you be honest, we know some games for this thing to become a rivalry, and Washington hasn't been able to do it. Like, that's what makes a rivalry a rivalry. That there's a you know, I went to college at the University of North Carolina and I played football and basketball there, and so the rivalry between us and the school in Durham is a real rivalry because yeah. any given time one of us can win or the, the, the records are very similar. The records aren't very similar, at least in recent history, when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington commanders. So rivalry, not so much um, at times it's competitive, uh, but you know, overall the Cowboys have been victorious in most instances and I'm just hoping that it stays that way this Sunday at noon. I get it. I think the one thing too, and the last thing for me, I, I think what, what really hurts this this rivalry that was really good for a long period of time, and and, and for what it's worth, it still matters to 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 clearly matters to some fans out there uh, as well. But what really hurts is the fact that neither team has been good for a sustainable period at the same time. Like th- that has never really happened with these guys for for a long period of time. Like I think the best ones that I can remember, like 2012. Um, when, when RG3 was around and Tony Romo was around, that was good. Uh, 2010, Donovan McNabb, but I don't even count that because Donovan McNabb was a shell of himself, uh, unfortunately for us, and we witnessed that. Uh, but then you get Kirk Cousins. He had a couple years with the rivalry, and y'all still beat him. <laughs> like, it was nothing It was nothing that Kirk Cousins could do, and, and you're sitting here saying that I, I, I'm proud to be a, a Skins fan when it comes to playing uh, the Dallas team. And, and then, obviously, uh, after that, it's just – you know, we'll see. Uh, Carson Wentz is a new addition, but it, it also just shows like how consistent Dallas was for the quarterback position. And speaking of the quarterback position, uh, Dak Prescott for you all, unfortunately got hurt in week one, but Dallas has been able to rebound, man. Consecutive wins behind Cooper Rush and Dak's absence. Uh, what has been the key factors behind the early season win streak for you all? You know, I'll say this first. I don't think there's an, any other franchise in the last 10 to 15 years that have been more lucky uh, than the Cowboys have been at quarterback. We're talking about discovering a guy like Tony Romo, who's giving you sustained um, success and, 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 and notoriety. And then to, on the tails of him stumbling into, uh, you know, people sometimes forget Dak was behind Jamil showers who they converted to safety. And then his now offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore had to break his ankle in a game for him to get the start. So it was Tony Romo losing the back, Jamil Showers being uh, converted to a safety, and then Kellen Moore uh, breaking his ankle for Dak Prescott to get his opportunity. And to his credit, he's taken that uh, and and flourished in this, you know, and, and worked his way into $40 million a year. That's not a, that's not a bad, that's not bad luck. You know, I'll, I'll take that mm-hmm. luck. Maybe I can get it, but. Yeah, let me just get a dollar. <laughs> you know, you know, you look at that, man. One of the biggest things is, you know, trying to have, you know, quarterback play and and trying to have it at a sustained high level. And a lot of times some people may say that the, 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 the toughest position to be on an NFL team is the backup quarterback because you're, you're literally one snap away from being thrusted into the starting spot. And then now the entire franchise rests on your back. I think the one thing that we've done, um, Mike McCarthy came out a couple of weeks ago after Dak Prescott got hurt in that, in that Tampa Bay game. And he said, you know, I need to get with Kellen Moore and we need to kind of, we need to kind of zero in on this play calling sheet. We need to get things better in this play calling sheet. And my, for one, I was saying, what the hell took so long? You know, you should have been done this, you know, Mike McCarthy. Don't wait till your job's on the line. And, and, and now you're being pressed to kind of jump into action, but they, they have helped. They have helped, 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 helped. Cooper rush out immensely. And the main thing that they've done is run the football efficiently, effectively, and not just run the run, but run it to their strengths, getting the ball on the edges. Uh, that's where the Cowboys have had success. Um, we try to do this thing up the middle in the A and B gaps, and it just it's not sustainable. When you get Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott out on the edges, that's when that gives them an opportunity to now find their path, you know. We all know that DBs and some safeties, they make a lot of business decisions. They don't want to get into the tackling business. they rather just kind of hold their spot and force it back inside. But by that time, you're talking about getting six, seven, eight yards uh, a carry at times. And so they've done that. And the biggest thing that I think that they've done with Cooper Rush is they protected him better. They went a lot of 12 personnel, two tight end sets. 
and they've run the play action. I mean, last game against the Giants, they were at 15 play action passes, and they were uh, 11 for 15 in, in play action passes for like 150 yards and a 91 completion percentage in play action. Uh, they've given him two reads. They're not having this thing spread out, four or five receivers out there where you have to read through the, all these different things. They've given him a lot of times two reads. You got two receivers in a route and the check down. Go out there, be efficient, be effective. If you see it, let it go. Let it go. And Cooper Rush has done a great job of getting the football out of his hands. He's second in the National Football League in, um, in quarterback release. Uh, Tom Brady's won. He's been that way for a long time at 2.4 yeah. seconds. Uh, Cooper Rush is at 2.46. So he's right behind Tom Brady on getting the ball out to his receivers as fast as he possibly can. I think uh, one of the things that really impressed me, and, and, and I was familiar with Cooper before this year, but what really impressed me, the, the immediate game following Dak's injury was the fact that it was his throw. I think it was towards the end of the game against the Bengals, like two very aggressive throws from Cooper Rush. And uh, while I think it was a little, it was a little Colt McCoy-ish in terms of the velocity, uh, like he was able to get it there on the money in, in timing and rhythm of the, the offense. And uh, from a, from a skill standpoint, obviously like he had the, the Baker Mayfield treatment as a rookie in terms of like having those two reads um, and you're, we look, just look at these guys, make the, make the play, make the throw if it's there. Uh, but, but ultimately I think he's executing that part that you mentioned uh, very effectively. And um, what is the, the concern right now in terms of like trying to get Dak back as soon as possible? Is this something where like the way Cooper Rush is playing it, that he can at least hold the fort for an extended period if you want to take uh, time with Dak coming back? Or is this something where you're like, all right, I hear what Jerry Jones is saying in the media that Dak could have come back against Washington. Let's try to get him back as soon as possible. What, where are we at in terms of how um, Cooper is playing in relation to Dak's return? Yeah, winning always helps the recovery process, right? If, if Cooper Rush goes 0 for 2, and now you're looking up and you're talking about your team possibly, you know, going into this game being, you know, 0 and 3, well, that rushing, that that healing process speeds up just a little bit more. But now you're looking at, you're looking up, and you're saying, wait a second, now we're 2 and 1, and we're second in the NFC East, and there's a very winnable game against the Washington Commanders. We don't have to rush him back this week. Maybe we can save him for the Rams game. Now, Dak just got his stitches out earlier this week. Um, he'll do some throwing this week. It, it's all dependent upon the grip. You know, can he grip the football and be able to deliver the ball? Because what you don't want to do is rush him back to find him back on the injury list again. Cooper Rush has won two games, and I don't think a lot of a lot of people, if we're, I think we're in a place right now, even if Dak Prescott was healthy, I think we're in the same place. I think most people had us losing. I know I had us losing coming into the year to Tampa Bay, the first game of the season. I thought that was a toss-up game with Cincinnati, but I had my reservations about them. But I did pick us winning that game, and I thought that we could beat um, – we, we would beat the Giants. And so we're in a place right now where we're, a lot of people are saying, you know what, even with Dak Prescott, we're right where we're supposed to be. So uh, giving him the proper rest that he needs I think is paramount and it makes more sense for the longevity of the season and trying to rush him back. Now, again, if he was, if we were 0 3, that's a horse of a different color. Now you're talking about, you know, I, I don't know what the stat is, but I'm sure not many teams make the playoffs after they've started the season 0 3. So that would have put a huge panic uh, in, the, in, in, in Dak and in, in the coaching staff and maybe even the training staff trying to get him back on the field faster than he should be. But, I mean, if he comes back next week for the Rams, uh, great if he doesn't and it comes back against Philly great you want him as 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 close to 100% as you possibly can get him because there's still a long season left and you don't want him bouncing back and forth on that injury report Jesse what are you buying and what are you selling uh, about this Cowboys team heading into week four I'm buying that we probably have the best defense in the National Football League Mm, I'm, I'm that's a, that's a declarative statement too. With, okay. Yeah, and I'm definitely buying. We probably have the best defensive player in the in the National Football League. That I'm talk, talk about it. Let's I'm, hear I'm about buying, uh, Micah. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm buying Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator and, and as a defensive coordinator of the year so far. The coach, you know, defensive coach of the year so far. Um, I'm buying Micah Parsons. I'm buying every bit of stock. I don't care what the cost is. I'm buying Micah Parsons as long as he is healthy. As long as he is healthy, I, I think he's an alien. I don't think he's from this place. I think he's he stole some human skin and he's running around here 
and, and I'm not I'm not the type that's always ready to jump on somebody or uh, anoint somebody. You know, I come from the 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 the, the school of you know you got to earn it. But you know, I've been around a ton of players, um, seen a ton of them, and watched this game for a very long time. Micah Parsons is special, and he has what he's doing early in his career is 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 absolutely insane. And he, he, this defense goes as he goes. And you're seeing guys now benefit from it. Um, the one thing that I know coming into this game is, you know, defensively, this is one of those games where you're kind of almost licking your chops. You're saying this might be one of those – this is a pass statting game if if done correctly. And, and reason being, the Cowboys lead the league right now in sacks. Well, guess what team also leads the leagues in giving up sacks? The Washington Commanders. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we're looking at that, and, and that offensive line on the commanders are really, really shaky. And Michael Parsons make pro bowlers look really, really shaky. So guys who may not be pro bowlers are shaky, they're going to feast on that. And, and the way that Dan Quinn has lined him up all over the football field, at left end, at right end, in the middle, at linebacker, rushing in the A gap, rushing in the B gap, rushing outside, lining him and tank up, doing tackle in switch, uh, so switch uh, on, on, on either side of the ball has created an immense amount of confusion offensively. And Carson Wentz, while he, you know, I thought Carson Wentz was one of those guys that would find the rhythm again. Because I just thought, man, a guy who's been an MVP candidate to lose all of that, his biggest problem is he's holding on to the football far too long. And that is a recipe for disaster going up against Micah Parsons and his defense. So, um, I'm buying everything Micah Parsons. I'm buying everything Dan Quinn. I'm buying everything that they've been able to do together in this marriage between those two and what this defense has become for the Cowboys. What are you selling for this about this Cowboys team that in the week four? Ooh, selling, man. You know, I, I they're gonna kill me for this when they hear this, though. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think. I'm selling that Kellen Moore can stay this consistently good at play calling. I got a, I got a friend who, hey, he he not he not he in the same boat as you. So I, you, you're not I, alone. I just feel like you know the Giants were a decent um, opponent, and there was still times in that game. I'm just like, what are you doing? And I, I look at the Bengals game, and you know the Bengals had opportunities to win that football game against us in the second half. Because we we stalled and we were doing some weird things, um, and so for me, I, you know, football is a very fluid fluid situation, and it, it goes one week to the next. And one week you could be riding high, and the next week you could be you could be in the outhouse. And so I, I just I haven't two games is not going to make me forget three years of what Kellen Moore has been as a play caller. I, I, it just it's just not. Um, there's more evidence of him being bad at what he does and there is of him being really good despite what you know the Cowboys being the league leader in, in yards and, and points last year in the NFL um so my, my biggest thing is is I'm selling is Kellen Moore being this good of a play caller um an entire season speaking like the, the receiver position is very interesting um Amari 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 Cooper Excuse me. Um, he, he obviously moved on to Cleveland, and I mean, in essence, just with that alone, he that that elevates C.D. Lamb, a player like C.D. Lamb, and obviously with Michael Gallup, who I believe is coming back against the Washington Commanders. Um, even still, with that happening, C.D. is is probably being viewed, if not is viewed, as the number one guy or the guy for the Dallas Cowboys moving forward. Uh, how is he taking on that responsibility of being the guy for this offense? <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm a former receiver, and I'm 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 hard on I'm hard on receivers, and I said since day one when Jerry Jones forced the number 88 on the CD Lamb. CD Lamb didn't want the number 88, and that that number holds a a, a, a high regard in the wide receiver land in in Dallas. Um, and then to have Amari Cooper here, who was a real life number one receiver, right? And there there's levels to being a number one receiver. And I think right now CD Lamb is just holding that position because he has the the the, the longest amount of years or the highest draft pick. I don't think CD one's the number one receiver. And 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 for me it's the inconsistency. It's the inconsistency in route running. It's the inconsistency of catching. It's the inconsistency of making the big plays. 
Um, to me, a number one receiver is is a dependable, reliable, um, can make the routine look routine, can make the difficult look routine, can make their spectacular plays when it's need to make spectacular plays. And we've seen this up and down elevation with C.D. Lamb when he was behind Amari Cooper. We've seen it in practice. We've seen it in preseason games. We've seen it in regular season games. And we're seeing it now um, as, as, as the quote-unquote number one receiver. Um, you know, you can go back and look at that Giants game and say, oh, wow, he had the one-handed. Yeah, he had a series, right? He had a redemptive series. That's all he had. That one series where he had, he had a fourth down catch, a third down yep. catch, and a touchdown catch, right? But don't, don't, don't not forget that the last, in the first half, he had a touchdown drop and a third down drop. And that's just what you can't, you can't have that as a number one wide receiver. And we're still talking about it being 11 games, literally dating back to last year when they played the, when we played the Minnesota Vikings, since Amari, since CeeDee Lamb has had a hundred yard receiving game. It's been 11 games and it's not like he's not without targets. He's this season, he's been averaging at least 11 or 12 targets per Mm -hmm. game. So he's getting the targets. He's just not. It's not producing, you know, it's, I think he may only have like three touchdowns in the last 11 games and he doesn't have a hundred yard receiving game in the last game. I don't know many true number ones who go that long while being in the uniform since they had, you know, touchdowns and, you know, hundred yard games. So for me, I think CD lamb has some skills, but life is different when you're the, when, 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 when that defense circles you in a defensive meeting room, and they go, okay, we're going to stop him, and we're going to see if Noah Brown can beat us. We're going to see if Jalen Tober can beat us. We're going to see whenever Michael Gallup, whenever he comes back, if MG13 can beat us. But we're not going to let you beat us. And, and there's, a, there's a special type of person um, at that position who can know that you're the star, you know, you're being star covered and know that you're going to be double teamed and still find ways to get open and make plays. And it happens all the time. We see it week in and week out. Stephon Diggs does it. Nuke Hopkins does it. Uh, Jamar Chase does it. Jefferson does it. Cooper Cup does it. I mean, Devontae Adam does it. And the list goes on and on and on of guys who say those dudes are number one receivers. They have the numbers to show for it. They have the productivity to show for it. And they have the consistency, in my eyes, to show for it. Last two for you. Washington question, and I got to make sure I I get a rumble question out the way as well. Uh, What concerns you? About, I mean, you said you have a great opportunity for for the Dallas defense as well to to capitalize against Washington offense. But uh, just generally speaking, what concerns you about the the matchup versus Washington uh, for the Dallas Cowboys? You know, offensively for for Washington, you know, you guys got a ton of skill. This is the confusing part about the Commanders when you go and look at the roster, right? And you go and you say, "Man, um, scary Terry, Jahan Dotson." Uh, uh, what's the uh, Logan? Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuels, and I mean, you offensively, you have key guys who at times have given us headaches, like like really have given us uh, Gibson, have given us headaches. But you look, you go, how the hell are you? And then defensively, you go, I got five first rounders on the defense. Like how? How? So my my concern is is that. The level of desperation that will come with you being, you know, a losing team. They'll flip the switch. They'll flip the switch, right? And guys have one of those out-of-their-mind games because they're playing <laughs> Dallas and everyone always gets up to play Dallas, no matter your record, whether your record is 3-0 and or 0-3 or whatever it is. When Dallas comes to town or you come to town for Dallas, that is – again, I go back to being a North Carolina basketball player at one point in time in my life. It didn't matter where we traveled to. You, you, we're playing. We're playing Duke. We're playing the mother seeking of the blind. You're gonna get the very best game from every single time because of the name across your chest. And it's the same thing with the Cowboys. You're gonna get that because people may feel some way about the star or the name across your chest. And so my my biggest fear of playing this team is the talent's there. Like the talent. I, I know what you go. Don't you guys don't have Young? Uh, he's still he's still on the pup. Um, yeah. I didn't come back up yet, but it's like, dang, like you got the Allen boys, you got Payne, you got Sweat, uh, you, you got uh, one of my Tar Heels, you got uh, Holcomb and 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 You got you got you got you got dudes. You have football playing dudes. Offensively, the same thing. 
you know, Scary Terry is one of those guys that I pray for and I go, man, one day I wish a, a guy like Scary Terry could have a real quarterback because the talent is there. I'm like, man, imagine Scary Terry with with Justin uh, Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or, you know, someone that, that can really get him the ball because he would be hell on wheels if he had, you know, God bless Tyler Heineke and, you know, Fitzmagic and, and all the rest of the guys that they've had come through there. But, like, his talent, and now you add a guy like Jahan Dotson to that mix as well who has another level of talent, you're, just, you're lacking that playmaker at the quarterback position to really get him to him. That's my biggest fear. I look at the roster and I'm just like, man, quarterback really means a lot in the National Football League. And sometimes just having names and not having the cohesiveness and not having that thing come together can really stunt your growth because you look at that roster and, and the commander, you go, man, they shouldn't be as bad as they actually are. Last one for you, man. I definitely appreciate your time today. Uh, Tony Romo, man, I'll, I'll be a fool not to ask you, a person who actually played uh, with Tony, to, to not get your perspective on the guy, man. Just what was it like playing for playing with him, excuse me, and, and just uh, understanding – uh, what it was like knowing how 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 much of a gamer he was on the field, an improviser, and and also just finding ways to get you the ball, um, and, and obviously practice well. But I, I get a floor to you just to let the people know like what it was like playing with a guy like that. Who I think personally, um, I I mean obviously like the numbers, I, it's weird, man, because I think that he could be considered as a as a as a Hall of very good guy. Um, I don't know what the argument would be for Hall of, Hall of Fame, but he's he was a really great player during his era. Um, and obviously the, the lack of success in the bigger games kind of hurt him. But I get a floor to you, man. I just want to know some things about some t- uh, Tony Romo. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles in the in this in this league at the quarterback position. It's all about it's all about the Super Bowls. It's all about deep playoff runs. And unfortunately, Tony wasn't able to uh obtain those. He wasn't able to have long sustained playoff runs consistently. He wasn't ever he wasn't able to get to a conference championship game or a Super Bowl. Or, or, or win one. So he's always going to be knocked for that. So I get it. And I understand the, of the hall of really good. I think he's, I think that's, a, I think that's a great, um, that's a great place to put him in. He'll definitely be a ring of honor, uh, Cowboys ring of honor member, but you know, because he lacks the playoff success and he lacks the um, uh, uh, Super Bowl wins that I think will forever keep him out of that hall of fame conversation. Um he has better numbers than Eli Manning, but Eli has two Super Bowls. And so Eli will have his head in, in, in Canton and Romo won't simply because he has two Super Bowls. I think the biggest thing with, with Tony is it's always been he's he's always had to elevate the team that was around him. And he, he did a really good job because even when the, the offenses were loaded, um, except with the exception of one year, that, was that 20, uh, 2008 year, they were kind of stacked on both sides of the ball. But after that, it was always the Cowboys would never really put money into the defense, and it was always relying upon him to go out there and do Tony Romo-like stuff to keep the football the team in the football game. Um, defense, decent offensive lines, and, and good running games and receivers, and, and he, he would do he would do things that would shock and amaze you. Um, one of the things that I was always impressed with with Tony was, uh, in my years there with him, his understanding of defenses and his understanding of um, this offense and opportunities. And, and, I, I, and, I, and I go back to a couple of plays. I'll take my play, for example. When we won in San Francisco in overtime, here's a guy coming back into the game with broken ribs and a punctured lung, and we get in the huddle, and Jason Garrett calls a play in, and Tony, <laughs> I'm standing right next to Tony, so I can hear the play in, in his huddle being called in, and, and Jason called 585 Harveys. And Tony just shook his head, and he was like, listen, let's end this game. Hey, we're going Z poker. I'm like, all right, come on, let's go. Let's do it. And and Z poker was one of those plays where it's an all or nothing play. It was a special play. It was designed for Miles Austin, who got hurt early in that game. But he was like, hey, let's 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 go. Let's go with Jesse. And we're going to make it happen. And we made it happen. And and we won that game. It was was that type of knowledge of I'm not I'm I'm, that play is dumb. That's a dumb play. That that play is not going to work for us today. Let's go. and win. That's what he's a gamer. Let's go and win this game and, 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 and get up out of here. And I've seen him do that a ton, a ton. I mean, Tony, in the last couple of years of his career, and I don't know if this is a praise to him or a knock to Jason Garrett, but it, he was changing the play in the huddle probably 50% of the time. 
either in the huddle or at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, another play that, that comes to mind was the Green Bay game, the Dez catch-no-catch game. Go back and watch that game. They double-teamed Dez all game long. They had made – Mike McCarthy and company had made a decision that Dez Bryant was not going to beat us today. It's fourth and one in a tight game um, on the road. Tony finally got the look that he wanted. The one time in the game where they won on, they man-to-man, one-on-one coverage, Dez Bryant. You know what Tony he did? He caught it. He checked he out, it to he me. out of the run and he threw it. Now, whatever side of the fence that you sit on, whether it was a catch or no catch, he he that was his moment. He said, yeah. I like my guy one-on-one against your guy, and I'm calling it. I don't care what fourth and one, I don't care nothing about that. Now, granted, even if Dez would have caught it and scored, the way Aaron Rodgers was playing that day, and he still had about three and a half minutes left to get the ball back, he probably would have marched down the field mm-hmm. anyway. But in that moment, Tony was like, this is the matchup that I've been waiting for all game long. It's the it's the one that we have to take advantage of, and he did it. So playing with Tony was, man, was so much fun. You learned so much about the game, and that dude was just a pure gamer. Jesse, man, I appreciate you sticking with me this entire time. I, I, you definitely went past the time that I expected, but uh, I definitely appreciate you. I want to give you the floor to plug anything and everything that you got going on, where they can find you, where they can hear from you, all that good stuff, man. Appreciate you. Once yeah, again. man, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. And I tell people all the time, whether you love me or you hate me, here's where you can listen to me at. Uh, five days a week, I'm over at DallasCowboys.com. I do a show called Hanging with the Boys with three-time Super Bowl, six-time Pro Bowl. Uh, champion, Super Bowl winner Nate Newton and uh, Kurt Daniels. Um, I do uh, uh, the pre-halftime and post-game show with A to C Sports Dallas and my guy Sky Walker. Uh, you can find that on YouTube. I also do a podcast on Wednesday nights called Cowboys Fourth and Long with Jesse Holly and Sky Walker. Um, I do another podcast on Believe with Jeff Cavanaugh uh, on Mondays and Fridays. You can find that on the Believe Network, also on YouTube. So. I'm out here. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Fourth and Long, just the way it says on my name right there. Um, I'm, 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 I'm interactive. I'm engaging. I'll talk to you. I tell people all the time, man. Um, um, uh, the, 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 the man that you should always fear is the man who don't give a damn. So if you come at me on Twitter, I don't give a damn. I will. Yeah, and now free smoke. That's what it's called. I will, I will come for your head. There's nothing that you can say to me that it hasn't been said to me for 20 years so understand that i'm a fun follow i have a good time i'm about the jokes but make no mistake about it i will come for your head if you act up <laughs> yes sir.